In our fast-paced world, with all the demands it puts on us every day, and the stories we personally carry in our bodies, minds, and souls, it can sometimes be really, really hard to put any intentional time or thought toward nurturing, nourishing, and naturing our internal and external selves. It can seem selfish to take the necessary measures in order to relieve ourselves of stress and tension and give our bodies and spirits what they are craving and requiring. We end up putting our health needs on the back burner. But over time, if not attended to, our bodies, minds, and spirits start to break down. If we don't listen to their warning signs, anxiety, stress, insomnia, muscle and breath tension, fear, depression, weight gain, restlessness, we will soon find ourselves in a bad place. But there is hope because most of us are unaware of our body's capacity and power to heal itself if given the right things. Stephanie Singleton is a military wife and wellness educator who has studied and practiced many techniques for overall health improvement and stress deregulation, teaching classes to everyday people on how to relax their bodies, slow down their minds, and feed their souls. She's worked with everyone from corporate companies to individuals, using her experience as a yoga instructor and therapist and a behavior change specialist to help people take control of their health and trust their body's ability to mend itself. Specializing in chronic pain, anxiety, and gut health, she's here to help us understand a bit how to give ourselves the permission to prioritize our personal wellness as well as to implement into our routines some things that can help us better care for our mental, physical, and spiritual quality of life. She's even been featured on the cover art of Yoga for Dummies. I just want to say here, some people due to religious preferences may feel a little uncomfortable with things like yoga and Eastern medicine and things. But as a Christian, she's going to shed some light on some things. And so I hope that you'll have an open mind in terms of listening to what she has to say today. And it perhaps may give you some helpful, physical, basic things that apart from any religious connotations um, may, may help to improve your life in some way. The Bible says our bodies are the residence of the Holy Spirit, and as such, we ought to give due attention to how we care for ourselves so that we may be fit and whole and well for God to do His work in and through us. And I can't think of a better way to start than what we're going to talk about today. So here now is my chat with the lovely Stephanie Singleton. Stephanie, so wonderful to have you here with us on Grace Moments today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I guess let's just start with you telling us a bit about how you got into wellness education and what it's personally done for your own life, because I know you basically left corporate America to go start this journey in business on your own. Yes, yes. So kind of a, a long story, but a good story. I was at CNN for seven years. I was a producer for seven years and it was a very fast paced life. It was a bit stressful, um, really fun for a long time. I got to do a lot of you know, cool things in Hollywood, but I realized that I wasn't in optimal health. Um, I actually had a panic attack at work in 2017 and that led me to kind of rethink 
my wellness perspective and my own personal practices. Now, I've always been a wellness advocate. I've always been a fitness junkie, so to speak. But it was after that moment where I decided I'm not doing enough and I'm not practicing self-care in a way that's going to help me in the future and help me, you know, with longevity and things like that. So uh, at first it turned into, I'll just take a little break from corporate and I will travel to India and study yoga because I was already a student of yoga. But that turned into you know, me having this epiphany moment in India, learning so much about myself and about healing the human body. And so I decided to make it my business and my passion. And I decided to turn my passion into a full-time business. So I came back, I started Prana Wellness and it was corporate wellness at first, only corporate wellness, uh, focusing on bringing curated corporate wellness programs to the workplace where people like myself, were stressed out and didn't have the tools to de-stress. Um, and then from there, my love for yoga therapy sparked because I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and we can talk about that too, but um, yoga therapy is a way to heal the body from mental and physical ailments in a more specific way. So I got into that and went to school for that. So it was a long journey, but well worth it. I learned so much about myself and my own body and, and healing. You have an interesting background in that one side of your family came from St. Croix, the others from the United States, if I understand. And uh, yeah. that difference between island life and that of the U.S. must have made for a unique experience growing up. And I'm curious, what are some of the differences that you see between how people in places and cultures like St. Croix, for instance, manage stress and life pressure versus how you see people doing it here in the United States? Is there a difference, good or bad? Mm, that's a good question, actually. So the culture is very different. St. Croix is a U.S. territory. However, the Caribbean culture is very, very different than mm -hmm. the state's culture. Um, Caribbean culture is more laid back, more stress-free, easygoing. I mean, you're living in paradise, so it's kind of harder to be stressed. Uh, however, I will say that just in all my travels, I noticed that, and I, I grew up back and forth. So I grew up mainly in the United States, but going to St. Croix all the time. I was supposed to be raised there, but I was in a hurricane when I was two years old there, and we ended up moving from there. So I had both perspectives, and I had my St. Croix family telling me I'm one way, and my Chicago family telling me I'm another way, you know, so it was kind of a split identity for sure. Um, but in terms of cultures outside of the U.S. and all my travels, I have noticed that in general, people outside of the U.S. practice more self-care practices naturally mm -hmm. without even knowing, mm -hmm. let's say they're not, they're not as educated on it, but necessarily, but they just do it naturally. You know, like here in Okinawa, where we live, these, they're not called self-care practices. It's just the way people live. You know, it's mm -hmm. not something that they need to necessarily learn or take classes on it's how they live and breathe um, whereas in the U.S. it's something that is like a novel behavior and something that people are just just now starting to pay attention to um, and in terms of medicine I feel very strongly about that but in terms of western medicine I think it's very different in the states the perspective how it's viewed uh, outside of the United States just in terms of the body healing itself and 
the pill culture and things like that, it's very, very different outside the United States. But again, they may not need the things that we need because they already do those things like eating. Um, mm. To me, food is always medicine and people in other countries, some, not all, but um, they eat food as medicine and to heal the body. So they are not looking to pills as much because they already are eating the things that fuel and heal their bodies. Interesting. While we're talking about different cultures and all of that, and you touched on living there in Japan with your husband being stationed there, um, I'm wondering why you think certain cultures, like especially Eastern cultures and whatever, why they've managed to understand the necessity of the body healing itself, peacefulness, relaxation through things like you know, Tai Chi and stretching and meditation and breathing and all those sorts of things. What do you think the Western world is failing to get that those other cultures are understanding? Well, how long do we have today? That's a day long answer. (laughs) I think realistically that Western culture has had such an ingrained history of war and poverty, illness, generational traumas across culture and that is is really the crux of it um Mm. I think that we have we will have an uphill battle to break those generational curses and those cultural norms that have been ingrained in us for hundreds of years not like 20 years like hundreds of years and so breaking something like that is hard um I'll use the example of of gun culture. I mean, unrelated to health, but kind of because it's something that, you know, America and Western culture has been attached to for many, many years as a part of war and things like that. So it's not like we can be like countries such as Australia and just snap our fingers and guns are gone because they're so ingrained in our culture. So it's the same thing when you talk about health and wellness people in other cultures have been practicing these indigenous healing practices for so long and they've preserved that culture and they've kept it around for many years. Whereas in the States, you know, pills were introduced. Um, And in my opinion, I think that we profit off of pain. We profit off of illness so much so that they're it's hard to break. It's hard to introduce preventative medicine and naturopathic medicine, which is what I promote because there is such a culture of monetary gain uh, from illness. And so as long as people are sick, we're not going to promote these natural healing processes that the body really does itself. So I think that's a lot of it. It's our mentality and our thinking and, um, Mindset is hard to break. I was telling a client, a yoga therapy client the other day that, and I'll share this on my socials as well. Um, it's, I think when we talk about generational trauma, mm-hmm. we have to understand that it's not something that is hereditary. You hear a lot of times, oh, obesity is her- hereditary. Um, high blood pressure is hereditary. All these illnesses are hereditary. I completely disagree. And you know, people may disagree with me on this, but my opinion is that these things are not hereditary. These are generational curses of the mindset. This Mm -hmm. is a mindset that has lasted us centuries, right? 
And so if we are stuck in this mindset of, of obesity, mindset of high blood pressure in terms of uh, lack of food access, lack of healthy food access, lack of education around nutrition and nourishing the body, lack of self-awareness, lack of self-care practices, those things are carried on throughout centuries. It's not hereditary. It's something that we are learned. And so we have to do the work of unlearning those things. And that takes years. That takes years and years of practice. So I could talk about it forever. <laughs> yeah, fascinating. Um, as a Christian, I know that there's a lot of skepticism regarding meditation practices and breathing techniques and everything. There, There's a certain vein of religion, faith, culture that due to religious connotations of some of those things um, some people in the faith community don't understand or feel comfortable and so I get that but I also believe as a mental wellness advocate myself that there are certain basic healing things that these practices can provide for our bodies that don't necessarily have to compromise spiritual convictions and from yeah. your perspective as a Christian who spans sort of both sides of the conversation. What's your viewpoint on this and why are some people, what are they missing in terms of um, the benefits when they sort of poo-poo these practices in some way? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me this. Um, I have a lot to say about this as well. I am a Christian. I grew up in the church my entire life. Um, that, that has never changed. I've always been in the church. That did not waver when I, I you know developed my wellness practice or when I studied in India and I love to debate people on this because I think that sometimes as Christians we can be set in our ways that the church has deemed correct for a long time that the structure of the church I will say not every individual and so it can be a touchy subject when you're speaking to Christians about it because they think that this is doctrine and they know what they know um, and I've been in multiple situations where people have challenged the practices that I teach or saying, oh, is it is it worshiping someone else? Is it worshiping another God? And here's the crux of it, Catherine. The crux of it is yoga is not religious at all. It's not affiliated with any religion. Yoga literally means the union of mind and body. That is the definition of yoga. It means union. So you are connecting breath, the body it's as simple as that mm -hmm. yoga yes it stemmed in india india has hundreds of religions mm -hmm. india is not just hindu or not just buddhist and so when people see yoga because it stemmed in india they think oh it's hindu and they have all these gods first of all you know everyone is allowed to practice their own religion and i believe that as a christian i respect Hindu culture, Muslim cultures, all these cultures to believe as they want to believe. That's first of all. But also yoga is not connected to these religions just because it originated in that country. So think about if we said, oh, basketball is Christian and football, American football is Christian because it stemmed from a country that is mostly Christian. That sounds ridiculous, right? It's like saying that in every basketball game, we were like, I mean, a lot of it, you know, they they pray people. There's Christian people, but there's also Muslim people in basketball. There's also Jewish people in basketball. So we have to really 
look at the facts. <laughs> and having studied in India, I spent a lot of time in India. I studied at the root of the practice where yoga was born. You can take a spiritual practice as yoga and meditation. It can be Christian. It can be from Islam. It can be a Jewish faith. It can be whatever you want it to be because it is a personal spiritual practice. So, and that's another thing people get confused, spirituality and religion, this whole woo thing, right? Spirituality is your personal beliefs, your personal relationship with God, whatever you believe in, right? The divine. So as a spiritual being, when I practice yoga, I pray sometimes. I feel God on my mat a lot of times, right? And if you are not of the Christian faith, guess what? You don't have to do that, right? And you are free to do whatever you want. I think that yoga connects the mind and body because that's what the definition of it is. And so when we're bringing in all these other thoughts of, oh, it invokes this, it invokes that, that is just fundamentally false. It can be a personal practice of whatever you want it to be. My last example is that I, I do a lot of chanting. I do a lot of spiritual chanting. I post it on my page all the time. I'm talking about the benefits of chanting. People automatically go to, oh my goodness, it's like, you know, worshiping other gods or it means one thing or the other. Forget it. It's, it's, they don't, they don't understand it. They don't even know what the words mean. They haven't taken the time to look it up. However, yes, in some Hindu practices, these chants were used you know, for gods or for sun or whatever it is. However, as a personal yoga practice, it can be used to meditate. It can be used to create better focus, better concentration. I use it with clients to open up their throat chakra to help them find their voice and their truth for people who feel like they're silenced. I have had people have serious mental breakthroughs just by chanting. If you take out all the jargon behind it and take out all the preconceived stereotypes, all it is is sound. That's it. It's just a sound. All you have to do is listen to your voice and your body and meditate on that practice. And it really, really can be healing. I appreciate you saying all that because I know I even just ran into some discussions on social media this past week with a couple of people because I put up something that referenced yoga and they're like oh heaven's the y word and they just totally flipped out and I got the whole Christian lecture and the bible verses and the whole thing and if you do this you're going to be held accountable to God and whatever and it was a whole big thing and I had to sit back and I I think to tag along with what you're saying I think one thing I personally believe is that as Christians because we follow Jesus, who is in the business of healing and redeeming things. I think mm -hmm. it's possible to take even secular practices and put them within our individual faith framework. And so sometimes even you don't have to necessarily be using the practices of, you know, these other cultures necessarily, but you can substitute it. And so like the chanting, you can, you can turn that into like scripture memorization if you want and, and saying, you know, Bible verses that bring you peace or help you to breathe or different things like that, that are associated more with what your faith framework happens to be, that there are ways to take something and adapt it to what's 
comfortable for you. And you don't necessarily have to always throw out the baby with the bathwater in terms of still yeah. getting the psychological and physical benefits of some of these things um, that you can you can make changes. And so um, I feel like there's there's wiggle room. And and I understand yeah. if some people maybe came out of a of a spiritual culture or something where they just don't want you know they want to kind of cut ties with that. That's, mm -hmm. that's completely fine. But at the same time, I do feel like in the faith community, people could open their mind to yeah. more of those benefits and realizing that they don't necessarily need to compromise what they believe in order mm -hmm. to implement certain, you know, if you don't call it yoga and you just say, okay, this is stretching, this is breathing, this is, you know, substitute another word and people probably wouldn't freak out, you know? And I think sometimes mm -hmm. it's just those subtle differences realizing um, realizing that. So I appreciate you, um, yeah. mentioning that. Cause I know that, that the audience here tends to be, you know, more spiritual and religious. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Of course. Of course. It's personal. It's a, it's a very personal practice so you can make it your own always. Why is it so important? Cookies in the bottom shelf here to practice both internal and external wellness in our everyday lives. Oh, good. Um, because you want to live longer. <laughs> I think that's that's the easy answer. I mean, of course, everyone wants to live until they're 105, but we don't have, not everyone is equipped with those tools and practices to do so. Mm -hmm. So I really believe that prevention is better than the cure. Mm. I don't want to see someone who's been incorporating bad habits and unhealthy things in their life for 20 years and now they're starting and going backwards and saying I need to reverse diabetes I need to reverse mm -hmm. obesity I need to get my mental health in order it's like how about start from there you know today what practices can yeah. you build today so in 10 years we're not in the hospital so in 10 years we're not having a stroke at 40 you know you have to do things now. And these are small changes. That's what I work with my yoga therapy clients on. Small changes in your habits and lifestyle every day that will lead to bigger changes. One small thing that I tell my clients is to have a glass of warm lemon water in the morning. Now, there's many different reasons behind that if we're working on gut health, but that small change can lead to incremental bigger changes that lead to optimal gut health, decreased inflammation, better circulation, so many things. And those small things, again, lead to bigger change. So I think it's important because you want to, you want to be there for yourself and be there for your family, but also the prevention aspect. You know, I think our culture is so, so focused on the pills and the medicine and the surgeries. But what yep. we fail to realize is that the body is a chemical factory. The body is naturally self-healing. All of the chemicals that we're using to maintain the status quo through pills, that can be done with your own physical body, all of these functions. Mm -hmm. So stress and illness is a situation, I say, of dis-ease. So capital D-I-S, dis-ease ease when the body is out of balance when the body is not feeling ease then comes illness then comes stress and the body you know falls ill because of all these things but these things don't just happen overnight 
it's over time. So when we put the effort daily into drinking our 60 ounces of water, <laughs> then, you know, the small changes lead to big changes and lead to lifestyle um, habits that will help us have a healthier life. So I think it's so important to prioritize it um, always. Mental health is so, so important, physical wellness. And again, yoga is the union between mind and body. So when you have that union of both, then you can be healthy. When the union is broken, then that's when the dis-ease starts to creep in, when the union is broken. Statistics are becoming increasingly alarming when it comes to the impact of stress and burnout, unhealed trauma, life pressures, and so much else in the human body. Especially here in the Western world, the pace of life and the societal practices make it very difficult for people to care for themselves and do what you're talking about and feel okay about doing it. Mm -hmm. What are some things you see in your line of work regarding this issue in our society and why is it so hard for us to slow down and give ourselves permission to take care of our bodies, minds, and spirits? Yeah, I think, again, it all comes back to mindset. So like I mentioned before, um, I think we're so used to and we're so ingrained with these habits of the Western world of go, go, go and hustle culture and work as hard as you can and be productive, right? But what is productive exactly? Do you actually need to sit at a desk from nine to five, Monday through Friday? No, I don't believe that. I don't I don't believe in the Western norms of uh, business at all anymore. Now, this is coming from someone who spent seven years in a tough workplace at CNN. So I've been on the corporate side, I've had these hard jobs, I've seen people do the grind, but I've been on the other side of it where I'm an entrepreneur, I make my own schedule, I see clients. Do I feel like people working a nine to five can do what I'm doing? 110%, yes. But it falls down to mindset. And I was just thinking about this this morning. I thought to myself, what are people with nine to five jobs and three children going to say to me with no kids yet and no nine to five? I work for myself. They probably say, oh, it's so easy for you. Let me tell you something. If you want to have your own business, if you want your own schedule, then you have to work to make that happen for yourself, right? There's a whole different skill set that goes into that alone. Um, you, you have to cultivate the peace that you want to see in yourself, right? Anyone, no matter what job they have, no matter what demands they have on their life or responsibilities, can be held accountable to themselves and their own bodies every day. Mm -hmm. So you make the choice as Catherine or as Stephanie to wake up that much earlier every day, to drink your water, to eat healthy, to nourish your body, to practice mindfulness. You make that choice. If you make the choice that you don't have that time, then that is a choice that you've made. Mm -hmm. And I think that Western culture in general has promoted this sense of, I'm too busy. I have no time. I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time for yoga. I don't have time. I don't have time. It's not that you don't have time. You're not making the time. You're not seeing the time. Yeah. You don't have the tools to be able to set boundaries to give yourself that time. If you think about that, set boundaries with yourself, set boundaries with your family, set boundaries with your work. We don't understand boundaries in the mm -hmm. States at all. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't know what a boundary is. I can't tell my boss I'm not doing this. I can't tell my husband or wife or, you know, extended family I'm not doing this. Why not? I can't say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always say an enthusiastic yes or a confident no, period. Mm-hmm. No is a complete That's good. Sentence. You know, so once people understand how to advocate for themselves, then we can start to make that change. But I don't think, I honestly don't think we're there yet. I'm doing the work that I'm doing now so that people can get there and I can help one person at a time get there. But it's a huge, huge mindset shift from the culture that we've known for hundreds of years. You know, it's not going to be an overnight thing. So I'll continue to do the work. Well, and since we're on this topic for a minute, I'm interested to ask you about your work teaching corporate execs and companies how to implement certain programs and practices so people can show up more fully and well to their jobs every day. A couple questions. Are we running on depletion and fumes as much as I think we are? And also, what are some of the things that you're trying to get across to these employers and workplaces about prioritizing the well-being of their employees and the people that that serve them? We are absolutely running on fumes um, as a culture, especially as a corporate culture. I think think actually COVID may have helped it Mm -hmm. because during quarantine time, you know, people were working remote, Mm -hmm. uh, employers, I don't want to say place less demands, but employers had more empathy Mm -hmm. to their employees' needs working from home and tending to family needs at home. And I think that was needed because when I am pitching execs and HR representatives, what I'm telling them is that it's in the hands of the leadership. Leadership has to engage, leadership has to promote and encourage wellness practices so that employees feel safe and confident and empowered to practice wellness in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't, I've actually had employees come up to me after sessions and say, I actually feel really guilty when I come to this class because I don't think that our manager like wants us to be here. And that's a huge statement, you know? Mm-hmm. If you that's are not problem. encouraged, yeah, it's a huge problem. It's like, why are we here? Why are we doing this? If you are encouraged by your employer, then you're more likely to feel relaxed doing the things, you know? So it takes the part of leadership to understand one, why these practices are important and to vocalize, you know, and encourage employees to do them. So I think a lot of onus is on the leadership um, and understanding also that when I, you know, selling a package to corporate on uh, wellness, I always say that this is helping your bottom line at the end of the day, because if you think long term, American companies spend over $300 billion on stress a year, billion with a B stress-related illnesses. Now that sounds like a very loaded statement, but if you see all the facts, it's because of absentee workers and because of hospitalizations and insurance payouts. They have to pay so much in insurance because of stress-related illnesses that 100% stem from work stress. Mm -hmm. So thinking about that whole big picture, how can you reduce employee stress so they don't need three weeks off to decompress, so they don't have to take to so many sick days and personal leave because they are mentally overloaded. How can you cultivate an environment as an employer to make them feel safe to ask you for a mental health day if they need it one day? And maybe you make them feel so good they only need that one day, you know? But 
I think a lot of it has to do with the structure of these companies and, you know, how they kind of force the staying, present staying in the workplace when it's not healthy for the employee, but it will help your bottom line. It helps um, your rates of retention. It helps the employee's productivity, their mindset, their creativity increases, you know? So I think at the end of the day, it's something that really can benefit, you know, the economy as a whole, but they don't see it as that at first. <laughs> I want to, shift a little bit and talk about moving trauma through our bodies because something that's really beginning to show up in neuroscientific research is how our bodies keep the score of the experiences that we've gone through chronic pain and anxiety being very common side effects of traumatic experiences mm -hmm. as a military wife you're even more aware of this as you've probably seen the impact of trauma on veterans in the military community why does it matter so much that we learn how to move that trauma and that distress through our bodies and help them reset themselves after something life-altering or disruptive has happened mm, that's wonderful yeah I so I specialize in trauma and anxiety I work a lot with it I work a lot with the military community um, both prior to coming to Okinawa and now continuing to work with the military community so obviously it has a very big place in my heart um I've seen people experience trauma who are members of the military and also yoga therapy clients who are not members of the military who've experienced some sort of childhood trauma. Um, and I think that trauma manifests in the body, right? You mentioned Body Keeps the Score, the book. I'm sure you may have heard of it. Mm -hmm. So I read The Body Keeps the Score when I was studying for my trauma certification. And it's true because your body will tell you when it has a headache, when it is stressed, when it is burned out, and when it's experiencing trauma, right? Those are kind of the levels. It will physically manifest as a headache, as even ocular pain, your eyes, as low back pain. So the reason why I started specializing in trauma, anxiety, chronic pain, gut health, and they're like, oh, those are you know three, four different things. No, they're actually very much related. So the gut-brain axis, the pain systems of the body, those are related. When you are experiencing deep trauma, it can absolutely manifest as pain. So some people that I see, they have severe hip pain, right? Hip tightness or shoulder tightness. And they think, oh, I injured myself. I lifted too heavy or I moved a box the wrong way. And then later on working with them, we unpack all this trauma and their pain releases. Trauma lives in the body. Stress lives in the body 100%. The tissues of the brain of a person that has experienced deep trauma physically look different than a person who has not experienced trauma and those that meditate every day. So example, if you look at my brain, I have not experienced trauma and I meditate every day. My brain tissues look different. Um, someone who's experienced extensive trauma, their tissue grooves are actually physically deeper you can see it on like MRI or CAT scans mm -hmm. so it's been proven scientifically that this is a fact so in yoga again that union of mind and body when trauma in the body happens there's a disunion and actually the corpus callosum that bridges the two sides of the brain the right and left hemisphere that is like trauma center so people who've experienced trauma have this separation 
of mind and body. So that's why you see people who've experienced trauma sometimes disoriented, not able to even communicate left and right. And it takes them longer to think, you know, raise my hand, turn my head. So I work with people doing things like that. We call it cross crawl in yoga to kind of reconnect that process in the body that trauma has broken. Mm -hmm. It's important and it is, it's very um, crucial work when you're working with people with, who've experienced trauma, but a lot of people sometimes don't know how to identify it. Mm -hmm. So they may be experiencing that physical pain or that you know disunion of mind and body and not necessarily know how to identify it. So I teach a lot of that as well. To sort of continue on with that for a moment, what can family members, spouses, significant others, friends do to support someone when they're in that process of moving that trauma through their body? Because let's face it, that takes time. It's a journey. And sometimes well-meaning people can inadvertently say or do things that aren't helpful or sensitive in allowing that person the time and the space and the support to do that work to reset their body and brain following something or some things that are um, traumatic and uh, life disrupting. Yeah. My best advice is to let it be, let it be. That means letting whatever feelings, whatever emotions, whatever pain that person is going through, don't try to block it. Don't try to give it a solution and say, oh, just relax. That is the worst thing you can tell someone experiencing trauma. Just relax. Like it's so easy for them. They physically cannot relax because their body is in fight or flight mode constantly. That sympathetic nervous system is constantly on and it takes a lot of work to turn it off. So by you just saying, just relax to them, that is jarring, right? It's not good. Um, let it be means to allow the emotions and the pain that they're feeling to come. Um, I speak to yoga therapy clients all the time about not pushing away unwanted emotions because we see emotions like grief, trauma, anxiety, anger. We see those emotions as bad, right? And we label them, we give them a value and we judge them. But why do they have to be bad? Why can't we just say, this is what I'm feeling in this moment. This is what I'm experiencing in this moment. I'm going to welcome it. I'm going to let it in, right? So I can experience it and move through it. You cannot move through trauma if you are not feeling it, if you're not experiencing it. If you're like pushing trauma and anxiety away, that's not helping anyone. Someone the other day, and you know, very well-meaning, said, oh, don't be sad your husband is gone. Don't put that sadness in the air. You know, that that makes him feel bad. Don't be sad. And I said, why would I not be sad that my husband is gone for two months? Allow me to feel what I'm feeling. Get out of my emotions, first of all, but allow me to feel that. It's a, it's a natural human feeling and I'm allowed to feel that. But statements like that, is why our culture is where it is now, in my opinion, because exactly. we tend to block these emotions. We don't develop that sense of self-awareness and acceptance of feelings. We see it as bad or, you know, we judge them and we want to push them away. But what if we allow ourselves to experience them? So a person that is close to you, allow them to experience what they're feeling. Don't try to offer you know, a solution, just do this, just do that, just allow them to feel it. 
That's great. As we're talking, I'm sitting here thinking about how so many times the Bible talks about rest. Come to mm-hmm. me, you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. In rest and returning, you'll be saved. And I can't help but point out that our bodies weren't designed or meant to carry the level of anxiety and stress that we often put on them. Our mm-hmm. bodies can certainly bear a lot when asked of them, but that isn't intended to be a long-term situation. And often we're asking them to sustain a level of intensity day after day that we weren't made for. And mm-hmm. after a while, they will begin, like you say, to break down. And we really shouldn't be surprised that our bodies sometimes let us down like this because it's really our fault that we haven't paid attention to or cared for them more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a quick lesson on nervous system for the audience. Um, so nervous system has a lot to do with your health. Rest is the number one medicine that you can give to your nervous system above anything else. Mm-hmm. Now, that is very hard to say to people in the military. That is very hard to say to people who work stressful nine to fives. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say to uh, Western culture in general. However, rest is what is going to heal you. Rest is what is going to keep you out of the hospital 10, 20 years from now, right? So the lesson in the nervous system, you have your sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight system it activates, right? It promotes a stress response. Now, stress response is not always bad. Stress response is also necessary. If you're in a dangerous situation, you need that sympathetic nervous system to activate and respond, right? Mm -hmm. Parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and digest system. It's the calm. It's telling your body to turn off that fight or flight and activate. These two systems work together on a daily basis. People who've experienced trauma, high stress, anxiety, you know, constant illness, their sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight is always here, always really high. And so it's hard to turn it off once it's on. Mm -hmm. What turns that off? Union of mind and body, yoga, meditation, breath work, rest. That is what turns it off. So when your nervous system is not rested, when it's always on, let's say that you are constantly in a state of panic and your mind is just spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. Your nervous system is overworking and does not have time to rest. It happens in your sleep as well. I tell people to journal at night before they go to sleep to release whatever is on their brain. Because if you're going to sleep with all these thoughts, whether it's worries or to-do lists, whatever it is, your brain is physically like imploding almost, you know, you want to allow your nervous system to reset and rest. All the systems of the body are working throughout the day as you're up and doing things and living your daily life. When does it get to rest? Right? And I'm not saying sleep all day. That's not what I mean. (laughs) I mean, allow your body time to reset. One thing a close friend of mine told me, maybe two, three years ago, he told me this. He said, you know, when I knew you, five years ago, so eight years ago now, um, you talked faster, you moved faster, you did everything fast. And I was like, wow, I never thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. My nervous system did a complete reset. I am where I am today is not where I was five years ago. It's definitely not where I was 10 years ago. <laughs> my nervous system physically reset to the point where my voice is slower. 
My walk is slower. My general pace is slower. That does not mean you have to be unproductive or lazy or sleep all day at all. Not at all. It means take a step back, take your time, allow for rest, promote your own rest, and then your body can be replenished to do the things that it has to do and be even more productive. You work better when you're rested. You're a better person in relationships when you're rested. You can get more things done and be more productive only with rest, right? So rest to me is an act of active resistance, right? If you think about it like that. I think for a lot of people, the idea of taking time to pay attention to their diet or taking a moment to pray or breathe or meditate or implement better sleeping habits or lifestyle changes, I think it can feel like it takes too much time or effort out of their busy life. And you were talking about that earlier on how that's a choice. For those that are perhaps unfamiliar with the basics of brain health and what we're talking about, what are some just basic practical ways that we can begin to listen to our bodies and their needs, begin to get in tune with ourselves and find a healthy, balanced life rhythm for ourselves, even while juggling the demands of work, family life, et cetera. Yeah. Um, The question or the challenge that I get most often from clients is I don't have time. And so we take a step back and see how can you create time How can you allow time? How can you set boundaries again with yourself and others to create more time in your your life? Because everyone, no matter whether you're the CEO of a big Fortune 500 or the CEO of your own company or a stay-at-home mom, we all have demands on our life and we can all also make that time. Again, it's those small changes that I talk about. So incremental changes. If you're waking up at 7 a.m. every day and you find it hard to get everything you have done in your workday, what if you wake up 20 minutes earlier? Just 20 minutes. Now, eventually, I'd like to get it earlier. But if you can just do start with 20 minutes earlier, you have 20 minutes to yourself to breathe, meditate, think, moving into your day. After you take that 20 minutes to yourself, meditation literally creates new brain space mm-hmm. in the mind. So you're creating more time, you're freeing up more brain space. Today, for example, I use myself as an example because I'm, you know, I have these challenges too. I have a super busy day today, back-to-back meetings and clients, and I teach two classes. I said last night, how can I make more space in my day? I woke up this morning, I stood up straight in my bed, I turned the light on, I took five deep breaths, and I did a 13-minute meditation practice. After that, I practiced an energy practice that uh, in yoga is called Qigong. It's moving energy. I did 10 minutes of that. That's it, 10 minutes. So that's 23 minutes of mindfulness total in the morning. With that, I felt lighter. I felt like I got everything done. So before this call, I got so many things done that I had to get off of my plate before the rest of my schedule continues because I had more mental capacity. If you create and allow yourself to have more mental capacity with any schedule it's possible with any demands. Along those lines, I was wondering if you could just touch real quick on the idea of circadian rhythms and sleep patterns Mm -hmm. a bit, because I know that these play a huge part in many people's stress levels and vice versa, the stress on the sleep. Um, I'm wondering if you could just touch on why these matter and how they play into our mental health. Wonderful question. Um, 
So circadian rhythms in yoga, we talk about it as uh, vata, pitta, kapha, which are the doshas. Now that's a whole nother conversation to have, but it's in Western, it's comparison to circadian rhythm. So vata, pitta, kapha, times of the day equal to circadian rhythm, more or less. So your sleep cycle dictates your health, right? If you're waking up at a certain time of day versus another, you'll be more tired. For example, I used to sleep in, I used to, and by sleeping in, I mean, let's say eight or nine o'clock, right? I used to sleep in. And sometimes, oftentimes, actually, I would feel more groggy, lethargic at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. I was like, why? I'm so rested. I got, you know, eight hours of sleep. But it's because of the time of day. So if you're waking up prior to 6 a.m., you should actually have more energy if you're going to sleep at, at a certain time. If you're going to sleep at one and waking up at five, then that's obviously not the case. <laughs> but if you are going to sleep and you're getting at least seven hours, so going to sleep at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., waking up at five, that's seven hours. And you are more well-rested than if you were to wake up at eight because of the circadian rhythm of the day. Um, with regards to food, what I teach clients is eat three hours away from bedtime and stop drinking alcohol at least three hours before bedtime. Wiggle room with alcohol, but um, I mean, because it's a thing for people. People think that wine puts them to sleep. That's not the case. Wine actually disrupts your REM sleep. It gives you a restless sleep. It gives you the feeling of tiredness initially, but your quality of sleep is not good when you have alcohol on the body. With food, here's why. Your digestive system takes at least three hours to digest, at least minimum. And so if you are eating at 8.30 p.m. and you are sleeping at 9.30 p.m., your digestion is not finished. And so your digestive system is telling your nervous system, which is telling your brain, to wake up because we're still working, right? <laughs> and so your body cannot fully get restful sleep because your digestive system is still at work. Versus if you stop eating at, let's say, 6 or 6.30 and you go to sleep at 10, that is plenty of time for your body to rest and literally digest, <laughs> okay? So it's disrupting your sleep in ways that you don't know. It's a myth that it makes you fat if you eat too late. That's not the issue. The issue is that it disrupts the natural processes of your body and disrupts your sleep and proper digestion. So also you can't have good digestion if you're trying to go to sleep. <laughs> it won't work properly. So in order to promote you know, optimal digestion and optimal nourishment of your body and, and rest, you have to keep those things in mind. I know you lost your father a couple of years ago, and I'm curious to know on kind of a grief side, how having these practices in place for relaxation and peacefulness helped you cope with the loss. Um, because as we know, loss isn't just an emotional thing, but it's also very physical as the brain is adjusting to a new normal without somebody in the picture. So I'm just interested real quick how that helped you on that front as well. Well, wow, I love that question too, because I feel so much more capable to process grief due to my wellness practices. And I thought about that quite a bit. Obviously, when you experience the losses, especially a loved one that's so close as a parent, it seems insurmountable, right? Mm -hmm. um, and obviously it's hard, you know, grief is an ongoing thing. It's it's like an arc, you know, there's different waves of grief. 
And so you miss that person. You're sad about losing that person. But I think that my wellness practices greatly, greatly, I will say enhanced the experience. It made me feel at peace. It made me feel comfortable. And I always say that two things connect, two emotions are allowed to coexist. Mm -hmm. So I can feel happiness. I can feel at peace with my dad's passing and also feel grief, if that makes sense. You can't, you're allowed to experience dual emotions, right? So it allowed me to process it in a more functional way. I still felt all the things, you know, I talked about not pushing things away. I allowed myself to feel those things and to be upset and sad. However, I also allowed myself to feel happiness. And in fact, my husband knows me so well and he capitalized on this. He, my husband, a lot of people don't know this. My husband proposed the day after my dad's funeral. Hmm. He asked my family in St. Croix if that was still okay, because he had planned to propose at this time. We had a pre-planned trip to St. Croix. It ended up being for my dad's funeral, but it was, it was a pre-planned trip. Hmm. And so he asked my family in St. Croix, you know, should he still propose? It is still okay. And they actually told him because they know me that it's even more fitting now because Stephanie would appreciate it because my dad would have appreciated it. Mm. And it's true. I, I was able to find such beauty and such gratitude and such peace with that occasion and that moment for me and my husband in the midst of extreme grief. So I experienced both, but it helped me to move through it in a better way, in a more healthy way. So when you have these practices already set in place, you don't have to scramble for the tools. You know, if something sudden happens, it's not like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, inject therapy. Therapy is wonderful, of course. But if you're already seeing a therapist, if you're already practicing self-care, then you're more equipped. You know, you don't have to prepare in the moment. Mm -hmm. As we wrap this up with a couple more questions, um, Depression, anxiety, suicide rates on the rise. We see obviously a genuine problem in our society regarding mental health. We've talked about that a bit today. Mm -hmm. What do we need to start doing from your perspective to combat this problem, to shift that mindset um, that we were talking about and start to be in a more preventative frame of mind for ourselves and our society? Talking about it, um, talking about it more I think we're we're moving in that direction mm -hmm. and we're talking about even therapy more because there was a time when therapy was like, oh, are you crazy? Oh, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. You know, when people say they're seeing a therapist, I believe people should see therapists when nothing is wrong. Because mm -hmm. like I said, when something is wrong, then you know how to handle it because you have the therapy tools. Mm -hmm. um, I think talking about it and discovering the ability to be vulnerable. If you read like Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability. Mm -hmm us that's with ceos that's with military that's with you know everyday people you have to be able to be vulnerable with yourself and with your community to be able to share these things to say hey i'm not okay and that's okay but when you feel that judgment is when you know depression and anxiety sinks in and suicide because you weren't made to feel safe mm -hmm. or you weren't made to feel heard or like you could vocalize these things without mm -hmm. being judged Mm -hmm. so that's huge if people want to 
get in touch with you and learn a little bit more about what you're talking, what's a good way for them to be able to discover your business and, and connect with you? Sure. Um, my website is Prana, P-R-A-N-A, Prana Wellness Works with an S dot com. And same as my Instagram at Prana Wellness Works. I'm always posting wellness tips, wellness hacks around gut health, chronic pain, anxiety on my Instagram. Terrific. If someone's listening today who's really struggling to balance their body and their lifestyle and is wanting to try to find some answers, what advice would you give them about what we've talked about today? Find three minutes in your day, three minutes, and take three big, long, deep breaths, breathing in and out through your nose. Your nose is for breathing and your mouth is for eating. Remember that. So when you're breathing in and out through your nose, you're activating that parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. Three long, deep breaths through your nose and you're immediately releasing stress. So if you need a little moment of reset today, just do that. Everyone has three minutes. You can actually do that breath in 30 seconds less. So, Before we end this conversation, would you mind taking our listeners wherever they're at right now through just a simple, short breathing exercise to just give them a moment of calm and peace as we wrap up today? Yeah. So let's do four, 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 four breath. It's also known as box breathing. It's a really great way to just decompress and take away the focus off stress because you're counting. So I will count through it. It's four inhales through the nose, hold for four, four exhales through the nose, and then hold for four at the end of the exhale. So it's just counting to four. It's not like, you know, you just uh, count to four. I'll guide you through it. So wherever you are, lengthen your spine, relax your shoulders, just relax your throat. If you're comfortable, you can close your eyes or gaze at the tip of your nose. And then inhale through the nose for one, two, three, four. Hold for four, three, two, one. Exhale, one, two, three, four. Hold, four, three, two, one and release that practice allow your body to soften wherever it is wiggle your fingers and your toes blink your eyes open when you're ready if they're closed you have just physically released stress from your body <laughs> try that practice that's terrific thank you so much stephanie for um coming on to share your wisdom and information with us. Your insights have been extremely helpful and I'm sure will benefit many of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Catherine. Appreciate it. Much appreciation to Stephanie for her willingness to come on and share her knowledge of this important topic of personal wellness. I hope you've come away with some helpful tips and greater understanding of ways that you can better care for yourself and help your body to better heal and regulate itself in the pressures of life. I know sometimes it can feel like an inconvenience to make the effort to do what you need to in order to feel and function at your optimal best, 
But if you take away anything from today, I trust you've seen what a difference it can make when you prioritize even just a few small things in your life that add up to some major changes. As always, you can check out past Grace Moments content as well as reach me at any of the socials listed in the episode description. And until next time, don't forget that Grace will always meet you where you are. I'll see you next week.